Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at soothing decibels. Today is episode 34, and it's just a stunningly bright, sweaty, hot July 5th day. And it's a big day for me, I'm not going to lie. It's basically the 4th of July for Max Sanders, you know, accomplishments. So I don't want to brag. I, mean, I think I've already bragged at this point. But on the picture memory app on your phone, it's called Time Hop. I just hit the thousandth day streak mark. No big deal. You know, just had an extra 30 seconds every day to look through old pictures and old Facebook posts. So, yep, it sounds about as pathetic out loud as it did in my head. So I was kind of curious, you know, if it, it's one of those things you say in your head, you're like, oh, it can't be that bad. And then you say it out loud and you're like, yikes. For over three years, I've had, I've had the time and wherewithal to check an app to look at old pictures and look at old Facebook statuses. And you, know, you know what's weird? When I look at old Facebook statuses and stuff and I see a comment, I can remember the comment. Can, can anyone else do that where it's like you can remember the two or three people that comment on one specific post for some reason? It's like, why can't, when I study, why can't things stay in my brain? But that, that sticks in there pretty good. It's not fair. Brain's a, brain's a, brain is a strange, strange piece of machinery. No clue what's going on. Neither do doctors. I mean, they seem like they're like, they got 10% of what's going on in there. And then the other 90% they're just like, I don't know. So I'm not alone in that. But uh, also exciting news. I learned how to stop the shuffle feature on my Spotify app. <laughs> It's very, very important to me right now because I'm just devouring these stand-up comedian albums and stand-up comedy albums, and you need to go in order because otherwise you don't get the callback jokes, and I won't stand for missed jokes. You know what I mean? Like when I hear like a, a comedian say, and then and then the jackal came, and you hear the crowd laughing, and you're like, why am I not laughing? And you realize that you're on shuffle, that you've missed the initial joke about a jackal that they're calling it back to. So big day for me and my Spotify life because God these are these are really sad accomplishments but this is this is quarantine life and this is this is how we exist and these are like hamster level height life hurdles <laughs> but in my world I guess these are cutesy little victories that make existence real it kind of forms my reality so these are my these are my daily victories I used to date a girl actually and she'd like how she'd ask me how was your day and I explained to her what I did. And I thought it was a busy day. She's like, that wasn't a busy day. That was a max busy day. And it's true. It's like, I don't exist in the realm of reality, I guess. I kind of just meander along in this little pop culture bubble. And my production bar maybe is too low. You know, the fact that I'm getting this in at 7.20 p.m. It's like, yeah, small victory. I did it. But, uh, you know, you probably gone to work or hung out with family and did a barbecue or something, but I walked my dogs and I'm talking into a microphone to 80 of my friends. And that's, that's what I want to do. And you know what I mean? Like uh, my credit meter, yeah, maybe low, but I sail over it every time. Thousand days in a row to be exact <laughs> at least. So what do I want to talk about today on this, you know, random meaningless, nothing Sunday of existence during the pandemic? I want to do something near and dear to my heart and pretty much as superfluous and unnecessary as my rant just then. It's this 90s arcade nostalgia movie that I love and it's Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. And it was a 2010 movie and it flopped. It really did really bad in theaters. It cost 60 million bucks to make and it only made $48.1 million. 
And I think it's a cult classic now in DVD and streaming circles. It seems like all my friends seem to know what the deal is. And, you know, I mean, like we can quote it and it's kind of a like winky. It's a wink and a nod into a secret society of coolness that you love this movie. It's Edgar Wright directing who did a uh, baby driver, hot fuzz, Shaun of the dead. And I think it's his most Edgar Wright film ever. It's just bright and like, lots of effects and quippy dialogue and lots of quick cuts and just fun and light on its feet. It's never on its, it's never on the ball of the feet. What are the back of your feet? I don't know. The heels of your feet. And they're on your heels. You're on your toes. You're ballerina. You're black swan. You're Natalie Portman in it. You're like way up on those tippy toes, but you're not having a psychotic break like black swan because that movie is freaky. I saw that movie in the rain by myself uh when i was visiting home and i had to sit in my car for like 30 minutes and just think about how crazy that movie was so don't go see a darren aronofsky movie in the rain by yourself you'll you'll have to like reevaluate your life for 30 minutes in your car while it's raining (laughs) but this movie is the opposite of that this is a uh graphic novel that they made into a movie uh basic plot scott pilgrim is the bassist of this canadian band he's like an early 20s loser in canada He's in a bad garage punk rock band called the Sex Bombs. Terrible name. They make fun of it a lot. Uh, he got dumped by this girl who's a lead singer of another band, who's actually Brie Larson, who ends up being uh, Wonder not Wonder Woman. She's uh, a Captain Marvel later, so that's pretty cool. There's like four later Marvel uh, superheroes in this movie. I'll talk about them later, but it's pretty cool that she's he's dumped by Captain Marvel. And he... Starts dating a high school girl while he's 22, and I think she's 18. Her name's Knives. And he, while he's dating that girl, he falls in love with a new girl in town named Ramona, who's like pink hair, kind of punky, wears rollerblades, seems rebellious. I mean, she changes her hair color to like blue and green throughout the movie. She's got this very I don't care attitude. I think she's the definition of a lot of people say like manic pixie dream girl. I think it's her and uh, the girl from Natalie Portman from garden state, just those obtainable, uh, like care for you, uh, wonderful plot device females that uh, is like an object of desire for the main uh, male character. It just seems like an awesome, like an awesome young woman who you want to date. You kind of like you're the punk, the pop punk and you, the, the guy who shot at Hot Topic when he's 13 is swooning for this girl. That's what you're doing. And the plot kind of takes on this random 90s Mortal Kombat Mario feel. There's all these like video game sounds and video game effects and like fights that look like the 2D kind of video game vibes. And Scott has to defeat Ramona's seven evil ex-boyfriends in order to be with her. So it's just simple. That's a simple elevator pitch. It's like, you like a girl, you got to defeat seven ex-boyfriends in a video game-like setting to win her heart. It's like, okay, cool. That's a, that's a good elevator pitch. And Scott Pilgrim is played by Michael Sarah, And it's Michael Sarah being the most Michael Sarah. Everyone is being the most my, themselves in these movies, and I like that. He's just this neurotic, inexplainably overconfident, but nervous, kind of charming, jargon-spewing, uh, just kind of basis nerd who's self-deprecating it seems like he feels like woody allen if he was a early 20s punk rock garage band kind of guy that's what he feels like like he has this whole bit where he talks about how pac-man was uh, originally puckman and that's kind of his opening line to talk to females and you know it's corny and it's bad and it's but it seems to work for him 
and you get the you get the vibe and that's the interesting thing like i don't think you're supposed to really like scott but you're kind of like eh, i don't like him but i'll follow him you know what i mean he's kind of as indifferent and ambivalent and befuddled by the situation and the craziness of the movie that you are as an audience you're like this is insane he's like saying the same things he's like this is insane why is this happening and like i said it's wildly directed you know there's those bang pow kind of uh visuals like uh like batman 1950s cartoon vibes like you know when batman's slapping robin it's like pow it's like that but for 2000 era's punk bands like when a drum clicks you can hear the click like you can visually see the click or like a bass line you can see the bass uh sounds visually popping out of the bass itself and like the nostalgia is palpable i mean you can there's like mario level up noises all over and you that just sends a chill up my spine people when they uh lose in fights they explode into coins rather than dying and like you know, the little 1000 or 2000 comes up as you know like the the higher up in the evil X's you get, the uh, better your uh, coinage is. And you know that if you're a 90s Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis kind of guy, you remember that stuff. It feels like Sonic-y to me. I was, a, I was a Sega Genesis kid. I loved the Aladdin, the video game. I still remember the cheat code for skipping levels on it. It's, you hit start and you go A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A. And it would just transport you from one level to the next. And I remember the, le- the fourth level in like the lava underground area was impossible. And I don't know, that game was fun. I mean, I should buy Sega Genesis. Stop the boredom with that. Although Super Nintendo had Mario, had Street Fighter. It had, and also Super Punch-Out 2 was awesome. I feel like Super Nintendo had more games, but I feel like Sega had like the Sonic and the Aladdin, like the all-timers for me. But uh, the movie itself kind of takes from those takes from those video games. I mean, there's every time Scott has to fight one of these evil exes, it's these one-on-one kind of sideways street fighter, virtual fighter kind of vibes, Mortal Kombat, like not the, not the violence that it is now. If you look at the, if you look up Mortal Kombat's fatalities now, oh my God, like look up Mortal Kombat 11 fatalities and they're literally ripping, like beating hearts out of people and shoving them up their butts and like it's exploding out of their eyeballs and like it's anatomically correct and it's disgusting. And you can only watch it for like five minutes at a time, but your mouth's agape and you're just like, oh my God, this is gross. Okay, I'll watch one more, one more, one more. Oh, okay, I need to stop. Oh, one more, one more. <laughs> so at your own risk, it's like one of those pimple popping videos. Once you start, you can't stop. So fun fact, I've never actually started a pimple popping video because I know if I did, it would be three weeks later, you'd find me dead and my uh, dogs had eaten my face because I wouldn't have eaten, I wouldn't have slept, I, would sleep, I, I wouldn't have slept. I would have just watched pimple pop popping videos for three weeks straight. So I'm glad I haven't done that yet. But uh, back to the fight scenes and the Mortal Kombat kind of vibe. So like these fight scenes are actually on par with most action movies. And they're kind of CGI'd and there's a lot of kind of floating, hidden dragon, crouching tiger or whatever, you know. But it kind of works because it's the video game overlays. You know what I mean? Like you picture Marvel versus Capcom. Uh, just these ridiculous... Uh, over-the-top video game styles, but with real people. And it just works. I don't know. The movie's light and fluffy. It's like a croissant. It's like you put it in your hand, you're like, this looks delicious, but it's just, it feels like nothing in my hand. And the cast, oh my God, the cast is loaded. And like I said, Michael Sarah, he's kind of the Mariana Rivera of like the awkward rom-com kind of hero. It's like he's got this one pitch, you know, this 92-mile-an-hour cutter, which doesn't seem like, it should work, but it's his pitch and he can dominate with it. 
and Noah, I mean, like, and it works for him for every movie or for every show, you know, Arrested Development, uh, this, what else is he in? He's in that movie where he takes the cactus drug. It's a terrible movie. Or uh, this is the end. It's just, he has one, he has one level of being and this is it. And it's good. And like, when you use him as, you know, you should, he's always the same guy. And I, I like that about him. It's like, know, know who you are, know your lane. And the girl who plays Ramona is just Ramona to me. Just Ramona Flowers. And that makes it better because in the pop culture kind of zeitgeist, she's crystallized as this one person. It's like in uh, Days and Confused, uh, Floyd, you know, the quarterback, is just Floyd. He's not in anything else. He's just that guy. And I, I like that. Or like uh, Billy Zapka uh, as Johnny Lawrence. It's just Johnny Lawrence. He's just sweep the leg. You know what I mean? Like some people just, it feels better if something's a cult, cult hit that this is all they are. But only one of them. I don't want like everyone to feel that way. Then it makes it sad because Michael Sarah has done some other stuff, and his best friend is Wallace. This is snarky gay best friend. Really fun lines. Really good dialogue too, and good friendship between them. It's played by Kieran Culkin, Macaulay Culkin's brother. Who I mean, if you watch Succession, he's Roman Roy, and here you can kind of see the roots of Roman Roy and like the arrogance, the kind of ambivalence, the kind of jackassery. And that's just who he is, and it's just a fun character. And, and you also have Aub- Audrey Plaza and Andrew Kendrick and nothing side roles just in this. And they're like big stars nowadays. Allison Pill, who's one of the uh, scientists and devs and is the girlfriend and goon. She's the loud, snarky drummer. And I, she just she's exemplifies the perfect, like, we are sex for bombs. One, two, three, four. And just snaps the, you know, drums, drum, uh, what they call them? drumsticks together. And it's just like, She's just intense and fun and punky and garagey. And it just, she kind of exemplifies the movie's mood the most. Kind of that angry face, but angry in a focused garage band fun way. And you got Jason Schwartzman as Gideon Grave. He's the seventh of the Evil X's. He's a music executive and just slimy and swarmy. Just a guy you want to punch in the face. And Jason Schwartzman, you kind of just want to punch him in the face anyways. And, you know, he's that short, dark-haired, nerdy, hipster thick Coke bottle, little glasses, but thinks he's cooler than he is. Just like I said, this they cast this movie perfectly. Everyone is just who they are. And it's just a fun premise. Beat up seven dudes, get the girl of your dreams. That's so 90s to me. And it seems, seems like it should be a video game. I don't know why there wasn't a Scott Pilgrim versus the World video game. If there is, let me know. So let's talk about the 70 Evil X's, which is really fun. And fun fact, I have a big tattoo, actually, of Scott and Ramona and the seven evil X's and kind of a anime video game eight bit kind of look on my elbow kind of it's pretty big it's pretty it's probably one of my favorite tattoos so shout out to Shannon uh, Parcel who did this for me her Instagram is Moonstar Memories by the way if you want to see she's pretty much done all my arms so if you know what my arms look like you know what her style is but uh, so seven evil X's there's this nerdy Indian dude Matthew Patel. Lucas Lee is number two, and it's Chris Evans, you know, that's uh, Captain America, and he beats him up by, like, tricking him in a skate challenge, and this, I mean, this performance by Chris Evans is the Chris Evans I've always wanted, just the, he's got a chin strap, he's wearing a leather jacket, he's a professional skater and actor, and he talks like this, and he's just, like, way over arrogant and way, you know, way into himself, he's going for the Oscar this year, and it's just, he's only on screen for, like, 10 minutes, but he's probably my favorite part of the entire movie, and I just want a movie where he's just like that. You ever see that? Like Tom Hardy in Inception, you know, just being a James Bond charming character. You never get that. And you're like, can't you just do a whole movie like this or a whole series of movies 
or maybe just a series of YouTube clips where you just kind of act like this. Chris Evans, you need to be Lucas Lee for longer than 10 minutes, 10 years ago. Okay. I want you, I want you as Lucas Lee. And then you got uh, Todd Ingram, who's played by Brandon Routh, who's, uh, who was Superman in Superman Returns. So in this movie, you have Superman. He beats up Superman, Captain Marvel, I mean, Captain America, and he used to date Captain Marvel. That's pretty freaking cool. Like, that, that's a way to cast. So, I mean, Brandon Routh, the Todd Ingram character, is a bassist. So they have, like, a bass battle, which I've never seen before. It's kind of a, uh, it was like a musical uh, fight, which is really neat. And Todd is vegan. And he breaks vegan code. And out of nowhere, this is my favorite part of the whole movie, there's time-traveling vegan police. And they just come out of nowhere, they barge in, and they tell Todd that he's had three strikes and his vegan powers are removed. And they use, like, laser fingers. And as they leave, I mean, like, it's a serious scene. Everyone's like, what's going on? And the vegan police leaves. They slap hands. They're just like, and they go, yeah, and just run off. And fun fact, the two vegan police are the only people in the movie that are over 30 years old. So this, is, this movie feels fun and energetic and young because no one's over there. And the vegan police are, are like 30 to 40 years old, if that. And that's the adult figure for two seconds of a really random thing. So it's like, I love that it's, it's just kids. It's just teenagers to 20-somethings all trying to figure things out, not really knowing what they're doing. Because, you know, I mean, if you're in your 20s, you got no clue what's going on. You're just kind of, you're throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. And you, got, you don't have any idea. You, you think you have the world figured out, but you got no clue. I'm 34. I still got very little clue. I got like 4%, 5%, 8% of a clue. But still, I mean, in my 20s, I had like negative 38% clue. And, I, and like Scott, you know, I was arrogant and thought I had more figured out than I do. But that's part of the fun of the movie that everyone's, you know, these 20 somethings. And then uh, the fourth one, fourth Evil X is Roxy Richer. Uh, which is a girl, Evil X, a little surprise there, really well acted. She has a giant kind of acme level mallet that she's trying to kill Scott with. And then you got twins. She dated twins at the same time, Kyle and Ken Katanagi, who are in this band that is kind of like synth DJ level uh, kind of stuff. And they have a battle of the bands, the Scott's band. And then their music produces these LED King Kong versus Godzilla monsters that battle each other and the music rocks and like seeing these two giant, you know, 40 foot electrical music monsters that are basically destroying based on how much they're rocking. It's just an awesome, awesome visual and really fun. And then finally Gideon Graves, like I said, and with him, they have these giant sword play. And like I said, there's video game references everywhere. Uh, there's like plus one life. He's like, they're like, what are you doing? He's like getting a life and he hits a little, himself icon to get like a plus one life there's the continue screen you know continue five four three and that's in life that's fun wish i had that in life that'd be nice like i said people are flying during fights there's random zombie cheerleader backup singers randomly throughout <laughs> and uh fun i i just like that the seven evil x's they're organized by an email chain like when the first evil x comes scott has no idea what's going on and the evil x is like didn't you get my email he goes, I skimmed it. And it's just, it seems like something that would happen in HR and like a Scranton, uh, Dunder Mifflin level office park in Pennsylvania. And it's like, no, they're actually going to battle for the heart of this girl and fight each other to death, but through an email chain. Like I said, cute, harmless. And when anyone's killed, they just turn into coins. So it's like, no, they didn't really die. They just, you know, turned into 4,000 points worth of coins. And you get that video, go video game like Boing or that kind of like a treasure chest kind of uh, coin falling sound. 
So there's no real violence. You know, everything's kind of just low stakes. And I love that. And everything is kind of a joke to Scott. Like, he's not taking any of this seriously. He's just kind of like, I can't believe this is happening. He's kind of just trying to pinch himself to see if this is a dream. Like, even when he's beating someone, he's like, let me get a gin and tonic. I just need to, I need to take a break from this. <laughs> and it's just fun to watch someone not take a movie seriously, especially when the movie looks like it costs a lot. So it's like, when you, a movie costs a lot, sometimes you get into the mode where you're like, everyone should act like it's the matrix. Like it's ultra important. And this is life or death, but not everything has to be just making light of it. Actually is more fun sometimes. And plus, I mean, Scott and Ramona have been on like two dates when this all happens. So it's not like they're fighting for like the greatest love of all time. They're just, they kind of like each other, but there's not that great a chemistry between them. It seems like they're okay, but that's the fun of it. They're just, they're battling for no particular reason. It's low stakes, mindless. And now finally the music. I mean, the music is fire. Music is napalm, you know, just incredible music. It's this garage, post-punk, indie, classic mix. And I guess the music producer for this was Nigel Goodrich, who's worked with uh, Edgar Wright before. And it took him two years to figure out the soundtrack because he's mostly horrified by how most movie bands look. And it looks fake. And the music that's relate. And he's just like, no, no, no. I'm going to get some real people. So, I mean, on this, on this soundtrack is the Black Lips do all the songs for the Sex Bombs. Beck's on it, Rolling Stones, Metric. I mean, it's just, it's a murderer's row of just awesome music. And everyone who plays music and instruments in the movie learned how to uh, play their instrument and were coached intensely by like the main people on the soundtrack. He like called them up and like told them, hey, we're going to use your music and they're going to kind of lip sync to it. Show them how you would be playing this or how you should be playing this. So, I mean, that's awesome. I, I love when... I mean, music is such an important part of movies. Once I wanted, one time I definitely want to do a podcast on like the top five musical combination scenes for uh, like the mic drop kind of uh, music scenes for movies or the best intro song, the best finale song. You know, there's a million things you can do. Music really like elevates a movie to a different level. And this movie is about music. I mean, Scott's a bassist and, you know, it's about a battle of the bands and getting signed and also just rocking out. And they really, they took it to heart. You can tell they cared that this movie was about music and about garage bands. So props to them for really spending some time and some TLC on it because it's appreciated. And also, I mean, they spend some serious time on the fight scenes, like their Kill Bill level kind of complicated and well choreographed. I think the last scene with Gideon is in this crowded multi-layer music club and it feels like an homage to, you know, a Tarantino film. And apparently I guess there's another Tarantino film, uh, Wink, that they close up on Ramona's foot once and it sends a wink to Tarantino because, you know, Tarantino's seriously into feet for some reason. <laughs> I mean, not for some reason, just there's something in his brain where he's like, feet are sexy. And I got news for you, Tarantino. Feet are not sexy. Feet are weird. Feet are crusty and they're meant for walking. So get your mind out of the gutter and let feet just walk. But that's just me. And, you know, you're one of the greatest directors ever. So I'll allow it. You know, do what you want with feet. And... I wonder if in his house he has like a foot where like a girl can like put her foot up and he can just admire it. Or I mean like how obsessed is he with him? Is he a Rex Ryan level obsessed? I'm not sure, but I'm sure on the internet there's somewhere. I mean like if you look in the movies, there's always a foot out the window. Someone gets their foot chopped off. The wiggle your big toe scene and kill Bill. He's just, he's into feet. There's no denying it. So, I mean, that's kind of a goofy 
that's a goofy tangent. And this movie is just a goofy tangent in general. There's just a Canadianness to it too. And it all works because everyone's in big, big puff jackets. There's lots of snow. It just seems very silly and very kind of unimportant. And that's what you want from a movie. You want to escape and just go to another world. And this world, it seems like you could do like a bunch of movies in this world. And I would be just pleased as punch to be in this world. And some random facts about this movie. So Edgar Wright told uh, his actors not to blink during the takes because he wanted wanted the movie to mimic Japanese anime, kind of their feel. And also the voiceover of like, you have won this battle was done by Bill Hader, who's of very fame and also on SNL. Just a funny dude in general. So, I mean, this is this movie's on Netflix. Super fun. I think it's like an hour and 48 minutes. I think it's 108 minutes. Whatever they just say, like 10-something, my mind has to do gymnastics to figure out an hour plus how long it is. Does anyone else have that? Like 90-something minutes, I'm cool. An hour and a half. 111 minutes, I'm like, yeah, that, I can figure that out. Hour 20 plus, it's like two hours plus something. But in the 100-minute mark, like 100 to 109, my brain just short circuits. I don't know why. But uh, it's an easily watched movie. It's really fun. It's colorful. It, the music rocks. Acting's really fun. Dialogue's quippy. And if you ever went to a Hot Topic or you ever skated or if you ever just kind of fell for a girl when you were young, then this is your kind of movie. So it covers a lot of bases. And I feel like everyone got, everyone I've talked to who's watched this movie super enjoyed it. And I think you'll be next. So watch it. I'm going to go watch it right now because it's pandemic. What else I had to do? Woo. Later. <laughs>